They don't have guests, they have contestants. 10 Questions with Kyle Brandt is the perfect game show and talk show hybrid that you need. Check out 10 Questions exclusively on Spotify. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older. 18 and older in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Basketball is very good. Welcome to Ringer NBA University. I'm Kevin O'Connor, and here today is the Ringer's J. Kyle. Man, what's going on today, Kyle? Hello, hello, KOC, my man. How you doing, buddy? I- I'm doing really good today, man. Uh, you know, we're without Jonathan Sharks, unfortunately, but looking forward to having a good show with you. It's been two weeks since we chatted. When did we last chat? Day before the deadline, right? Yeah, it, you know, way too long. I can't go that long without, you know, having having a conversation with KOC. You know, I, I need to hear your voice. It, it's been a minute, and I'm looking forward to chatting today because on the U, we focus on the NBA's younger players, usually 25-ish years old or younger, plus the NBA draft. So we'll be talking about some lessons learned from the NCAA tournament later in the show. But first, we have a lot to get to. So let's start with our progress reports for players that were moved at the trade deadline. It's been two weeks, like we said. So that's been a lot of time to assess and look ahead towards the postseason. So we're going to give a grade and discuss some players in new situations. And let's start off out west. The Nuggets are undefeated since the trade deadline with a plus 12 net rating. And they have a team leading net rating of plus 24 with Aaron Gordon on the floor. Plus 24. With Aaron yeah. Gordon on the floor for the Nuggets. Been a seamless fit with Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic, who, by the way, MVP so far. So, Kyle, with Aaron Gordon in Denver, what's your grade so far for this? And what are your initial thoughts on how this fit is working out? Do you th- Well, I was going to say, do you think that, are you one of the people that thinks Jokic was MVP even before the Embiid injury? Or what, how, where did you I, fall I had them that? like neck and neck. I had Embiid slightly ahead, but it was very, very close between them. I was in the exact same camp yeah I, I, you mentioned the net rating thing i was kind of looking at in the last you know five games the best lineups in the league yeah and that it's pretty wild that that murray barton gordon mpj Jokic lineup is Oof. yes sec, second in net rating in the league and i mean and they're just scratching the surface i mean just from the outset i think that you have to give it an a whether you want to go uh, in terms of like moves at the deadline I, i've done some stuff in the past like kind of chronicling what you can get done at the at the deadline, what's possible, um, and and in terms of like historical precedent, I think we'll have to judge it by how this all plays out. But I think the early results are are saying strong A. I mean, I don't know what your all's grading scale was when you were in school, but it was like uh, I, I think nine ninety to hundred was an A for us. Uh, I would I would give it at least a strong ninety four ninety five. Uh, willing to go higher after the season if that if that uh, if the results pan out and they could because the lineup versatility that they added with Gordon a guy who doesn't necessarily need the ball all the time a guy who can inject some good decision making in in short you know touches I know I was looking at his tracking data I was texting you about that last night I was curious to see how it would change uh, his touch time is already way down from two point five seconds to one point one so. You know, when you get when you're playing next to a great decision maker like Jokic and flipping it the other way, whenever you put, you know, a strong cutter, um, a guy who can finish, a guy who can, you know, make open threes, 
um, it's it's a boon. It's it's a home run of a of a trade for them. It's working working out great. Yeah, you mentioned the touch time, and and that brings to mind a play that happened in Tuesday's game against the Pistons. The ball got inbounded to Gordon, and then him and Jokic had five passes to each other within like a five or second period, and it led to a Jokic layup. And it, it reminded me of the the blender scene and the the post up scene with Will Ferrell and Semi Pro. <laughs> Semi Pro, yeah. Ex- except except it was a smart basketball play. Like each of the passes from Jokic and from Gordon had. Meaning there was intention to get the guy open. They weren't just passing back and forth for no reason at all. But it just kind of outlined, you know, the touch stat that you just mentioned, where he is making quick, rapid decisions with the ball. He's just fit in seamlessly. And it, it shows the 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 power of putting a bunch of smart, high IQ basketball players on the floor at the same time. Well, you're adding variability. That's what you add. When you don't have good decision makers, good ball handlers, good creators, your your variables they narrow, you know, you end up in these situations where your productivity is bottlenecked and teams can easily prepare for you. If you look at some of the, you know, the best offensive teams in the league have high variability. And that is just putting players on the floor that can make complex decisions. You're harder to guard in that situation. And I mean, Gordon, something that I really noticed that I like a lot is my God, what, what a tandem of MPJ and Gordon. I mean, you can put out there guys that they support Jokic in some ways. You know, MPJ, I think, is underrated as sort of a weak yes. side, you know, raise up, wall up, volleyball, uh, rim protector. Uh, he's really good at that, like one step got, jumping and being it, it long. Got way better, too. Like his defensive improvement this season. I feel like, I mean, ESPN just did their 25 under 25 list, and I don't want to get too much into that. But I thought Michael Porter Jr., I think he was ranked 14th, was a bit underrated in there. Bobby Marks had him third, a little higher than I'd have him, but I respect it. Because Michael Porter Jr. has turned into a heck of a player. Like this past month, averaging 21 points, nine rebounds, 60% from the field, 54% from three. I mean, he's been shooting the lights out his whole life. Yeah, the whole month he's been shooting the lights out. He has taken multiple leaps at the beginning of the year. In midseason, it's happening now. Like, I, I feel like the Ron Paul meme. It's happening. It's happening. You know, <laughs> with Michael Porter Jr. It's just he's fitting in, man, and he's embracing the role. That's what this team, all of them are embracing a role around Jokic being the center of the solar system. Yeah, when you have a supercomputer like Jokic, I mean, he's he's arguably one of, I mean, he's in the conversation for best player in the world right now. I mean, yeah. just I was watching that game last night with Detroit and it was just like Jokic is just so at his un, his own pace and you can't rush him out of it. Like those that's that's a really tough thing to deal with with a guy who can go get his own offense. And if you look at the pace among those guys those teams that have like the highest offensive rating in terms of lineups in the past five games, um, you know, Denver isn't playing overly fast and you don't have to when you simplify, you know, and that just tells me that in the half court, like I was just noticing that, you know, Aaron Gordon's cutting is like skyrocketed. And I think we're kind of in the early stages of him kind of getting, you know, accustomed to their offense. I mean, it's up to 30.2% of his offense right now. (laughs) The highest it's ever been in the past was 8.4. But something that I really like that I've noticed is, you know, teams, a really cool wrinkle to offense is if you can get early mismatches and teams are really clever about doing this in transition or early, you know, secondary break types of things. If you can get those mismatches in your early offense, you can attack them in, in that like kind of quick hitter fashion where they come down. Maybe maybe they don't even go into their offense, but Jokic sees these things. So if Gordon comes down and that's the that's the good thing about having two basically fours on the floor at the same time is they can attack those mismatches because you got to put a big on Jokic and you know he I just noticed that he was posting up guys early and and getting easy buckets and that's that's just another wrinkle for the for the Nuggets and uh, defensively it's been great too I mean we've talked throughout the show since we started in January certain ideas about inverted offenses using guys in different positions we've talked about that and in the context of Bruce Brown being used as a screener with the Nets it's true with a lot of different teams with bigger guys handling the ball like Jokic does for Denver and that allows them to do so many funky things on the floor that our defense isn't used to seeing and you mentioned Gordon cutting they have that play where Jamal Murray sets a, a back pick for Aaron Gordon who's usually standing above the break or near the wing and then he just slices right to the rim as Jokic has the ball at the other elbow, and he just flips it to him with perfect accuracy and precision, gets him an easy bucket at the rim. And it's just been cool to see Gordon in this role because for so many years in Orlando, he was used in different types of roles as a you know a ball handler, as a, as a post player, 
he's never been in a situation like this. And, you know, you mentioned the tracking stat earlier. I looked at some last night as well on second spectrum, like in Orlando this season, Gordon averaged 64 touches a game compared to in Denver, 32 touches a game. So his touches have been cut in half. He's not dribbling as much either. When he yeah. does possess the ball, he, he logged 3.4 dribbles per touch in Orlando to 1.2 dribbles per touch right now in Denver. And perhaps like most importantly is that the scoring aspect is 0.9 points per chance in Orlando, 1.2 points per chance in Denver. I mean, it's just the efficiencies up because he's getting easier shots created from Murray created from Jokic and you have to give a guy credit for embracing that role. And I know Michael Malone said yesterday how, you know, Gordon came to Denver, not trying to stand out. He came there trying to fit in and it's a hundred percent. The truth. It's a hundred percent. The truth. He went there to fit in and he's a guy embracing and shining within his role. Yeah, definitely. And the, the play that you, the play that you pointed out, I was also noticing and you know, it's, the I really pick with Murray. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I really enjoy these sort of triangle action formation kinds of things because you put the defense in a situation where you have three guys trying to communicate as opposed to and, and it's we talked we've talked a lot about how big playmakers really, you know, since they can pass over the top and Jokic having the one of the widest, I mean, he might have the widest passing vocabulary in the world up there with like Trey Young, with like LeBron. I mean, it's way, way up there. And when you put Guys like Porter, like Murray in these situations where they are pulling gravity uphill and then you have a tremendous downhill cutter like Aaron Gordon. That's just uh, that's a that's a great that's a great piece for them to add. And, you know, like we were talking about, I think that this is really tough for the Clippers. You know, I don't know what the I haven't looked at what the seeding is going to play out right now, but I think that in terms of like matchups. Them adding Gordon is going to be a serious problem for for some teams, and uh, you know I think it just it boosted their playoff offensive flexibility. So they faced the Clippers, and Gordon had some great defensive possessions against Kawhi Leonard, and we saw him do this before. It's not the first time he did it when Kawhi was in Toronto two seasons ago, and Orlando had their little you know playoff run to the first round. Gordon played great. He had possessions against KD during that run to the playoffs against James Harden and against Kawhi in the first round. And he made it hard on him. I mean, there's only so much you can do against a future Hall of Famer, you know, of that caliber. Um, but what did you see from a matchup standpoint in the Denver LA game or when you even just project ahead with these with those two teams of how Denver might present challenges for whether it's the Clippers or any playoff opponent? I'm curious about your thoughts there. I think it's the versatile fours like we were talking about. I think that's the that to me is the crux of this because you you know you knew you had a thing that worked with 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 Murray and with Jokic and that two man game is still going to be they instinctively feed into each other and flow off of each other extremely well. So and those two guys pull a lot of gravity. They're versatile scores. You're going to have to game plan to stop them. That in and of itself is a challenge. So then you're adding, but then you also I really think that that the heart of it to me that is making Denver. Um, you know, a really challenging proposition for Western Conference teams uh, on the horizon is the fact that they have this guy who is, you know, a stock that could just go to the moon at any moment in MPJ. Uh, and, and, you know, you give extra support to Jokic defensively, too. Like we said, I think that's really important. I think that's something that they needed to add. Um, and then you get, you know, they're bigger guys that are athletic, that can get up and challenge the rim, that can give you that backline support. Uh, can make out-of-area plays. I think that's really big. Um, to me, in that 3-4 spot, the fact that those two guys are versatile and interchangeable, I think that that is the the thing that is could elevate this and put it over the hump as opposed to last year where you were like, and maybe there still is going to be some of that lingering what the hell are we going to get from Michael Porter Jr. In, in a playoff series. I don't know, but I agree with you that he's gotten a lot better. Um, but to me, that is a really tough thing to do. You're going to have to put three really big guys on the floor at the same time to account for those guys with with to go along with the shooting of, you know, because Barton can hit open shots, too. We haven't even mentioned him. Yeah, and then yeah. and then Murray. Yeah, for sure. They have a lot of shot makers, a lot of guys who can beat you. And that's the toughest thing to defend when you have four or five players on the floor who at any point can hit a three for you, attack off the dribble. And Michael Porter Jr. has been better at making the right pass off the dribble. Sometimes you that's the next area of his game to develop is the passing ability. But He's gotten better. He's gotten way better. And it's the type of thing where two years ago, I was in Denver to report a feature story, and I talked to Tim Conley, uh, who runs their front office, and he had a quote uh, that he said to me about how in deciding whether to take Michael Porter Jr. or not, 
a friend of his or another scout said to him, well, there's no basketball risk with Michael Porter Jr. You know, you're getting a guy who loves basketball, who works hard, who clearly has elite talent at 6'10 with shot making ability and just to be like a pure shooting stroke. There's just an injury risk. You know, like we talk so much about risk in the draft about, you know, guys might get hurt or some guys don't have a good jump shot. Some guys don't play hard on defense. Everything, every player has their own respective risk. And the point they, you know, from their perspective, they're like, we'll take a guy. We'll take a guy who's had injury issues when we know that he could be the guy who's the X factor that elevates us from a nice playoff team to real serious championship contenders. And that's what's happened mid-year. I, I don't I don't feel like uh, expectations of Denver for the postseason have been recalibrated in the way that they need to. This team is a serious, oh, serious yeah. threat. Even especially against, if L.A. doesn't get healthy, the yes, Lakers. Yeah. Especially if they don't. But even if they do. It's true. Even if the Lakers do get 100% healthy, this Nuggets team is a serious threat. Like, they're a matchup problem for everybody. But they really are. You know, it's funny. I've brought this up. It's I've kind of intentionally gone out of my way to to to, to bolster up this Nuggets video that I never put out. But th- this is like both like pat myself, but also I had it wrong. I in the video was like looking at sort of the, you know, the medical chart of the Nuggets, looking at what I thought was they I was like they need support to sort of guard the ball better, you know, think support Jokic defensively. And I was just like, they should trade for Aaron Gordon. That was one of the parts of the video specifically <laughs> that I said. But yeah. but I said they should trade Michael Porter Jr. Because at the time, oh. I saw somebody that was so erratic. And I was like, is he going to stay healthy? The fit with Murray. I was like, how long is this going to continue to work? Uh, but them together, you know, it, assuming that MPJ continues to embrace this, continues to get better and improve, um, I think that it's it's quite a tandem, and it's, it's it's worked out really well for Denver in the short returns. We'll see how teams adjust to them, but it's it's good. So for years, Aaron Gordon was in Orlando. You know, last we saw him cutting and using interior passing was when he was in college at Arizona. Michael mm-hmm. Porter Jr. fell into a great situation to not be a guy who's like I'm going to shoot 20 shots per game. He became he's becoming a guy that plays hard on defense and rebounds his ass off and takes the right shots on offense. Another player who's dealt with some situation issues over the years is Zach Levine. He was in Minnesota, and now he's in Chicago. He's in the best spot of his career right now. So let's discuss how the Bulls' acquisition of Nikola Vucevic is impacting Zach Levine. Um, they haven't won a heck of a lot of games. Um, they've won two in a row. Um, but I, I I really like the way they're playing through Levine and Vooch. It's really cool. And then Thaddeus Young as well. They have two bigs who can play make for you. And Levine's getting some help here. I, I I love the upside with this fit here. And I, I mean, I didn't give a grade for the last one. I'd give that an A too. Here I'd give this oh, good. so so far an B plus, an A minus so far, yeah. with potential to be even ha- way higher than that. Yeah, I was I was just thinking about Vooch and Levine. It really sounds like a drive time radio show. And uh, you're listening to Vooch and Levine in the morning. <laughs> uh I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> WFAN. Vooch and Levine. Uh, anyway, so <laughs> how do you like the the uh, Lavooch nickname? Lavooch, Lavooch, Lavooch. It sounds kind of dirty. I don't know. I would say <laughs> I think that I don't know. I call him dirty. Call in, him in what way, Kyle? We're just gonna leave it alone. I think. Okay. I think we'll just leave it alone. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, no, I would say that you know it, it, the early returns, like we said, are. I think that there is some growth plate on this on this trade that is good as it started out good. And I think it could get significantly better. One of the main things that I've starting from the, from the uh, let's we'll trickle down from there. Uh, I think that this is an obvious great addition for them because what you're adding is you're adding solidified production at volume. Whereas in the past they had sort of unsolidified guys who were sort of trying to find their footing still in the NBA, but they had two of them next to each other that were trying to do that at the same time. And that was a little bit tough for the bulls who were, you know, near the bottom of the league in offensive rating last year. So you're adding a guy who's versatile like Vucevic, who is it Vucevic or Vucevic? Vucevic. Vuce? Vucevic. I always say Vucevic. Um, I I, I made the switch. I made the switch recently and I'm uh, feeling good about it. You feel it, good? Yeah, I get it. Also, by the way, you're the king of pronunciation with Luka Doncic. Luka Doncic. Don, don, and <laughs> I listened to your Luka video. 
when recording my Luca video this week to get that pronunciation right. Just the so, Slovenian people uh, appreciate it. That's what I'll say. Yes. They really do. Ljubljana, Slovenia. Uh, so, yeah, Vucevic, I think you're you're adding a guy who has, you know, he's, he's fairly efficient. Not not much of a, he's not like a high-level creator, I'd say, at the elbow, but he's a guy that can create at the elbow. He can hit shots, faces up extremely well. He shoots and hits threes at a higher volume than, than Wendell Carter Jr. did. Uh, and, he, and he's a little older. He's 30 years old. Something that I've noticed is, you know, he's, in the pick and roll, obviously, the, the Levine pick and roll, we've talked a lot about how Levine has improved. We know he's a downhill scorer. We know he can go get his shot basically whenever he wants. Um, and, and he's gotten a lot more efficient at that. But, you know, in the past, Vucevic has shot. See, I did that there. His, you know, he's, his field goal percentage has been around 35 to 37% in the past. Or uh, actually, much higher than that. Uh, Forty-eight point nine prior to coming to the Bulls, uh, it's like a full ten percent down. He's miss missing a lot of shots right now in the pick and roll. So once you know, once he gets into his comfort level and he starts shooting the ball like he can, um, I think that that's going to affect the way defenses react to him. Um, I think that that's going to be a good thing for the Bulls across the board and continue this thing, allow it to continue to grow. And Levine's sort of in the middle of a little bit of a cold stretch here as well shooting the ball last week or so. So as he picks it up and as Vooch starts picking it up, I think that has a real potent potential to be, you know, as a pick and roll duo. And I noticed in the tracking data, they ran 27 pick and rolls in their win against the Pacers. And that that's according to second spectrum. And that's more in one game than Levine's had in any game this year with Vooch is 27. The previous high, I believe was with Thad Young. So, they're averaging 18 pick and rolls per game, and that's a lot. It would rank sixth in the NBA. And just for reference, Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton lead with 21 per game. So they're way up there with what they're doing and what they want to do. And what I really like about it is this. We have seen Levine improve as a playmaker, mm -hmm. but I still don't think he's going to be your guy averaging eight assists per game, seven no, assists per no. game. He's more like the type of guy who thrives in an offense where multiple guys are doing it. So you have Vooch doing it. You know, hopefully White can develop over the course of time or you bring in another guy in the backcourt, Alonzo-esque type of guy who's a low-maintenance ball handler but still makes plays for teammates. Patrick Williams, I still think he's the key to this whole thing. Definitely. The key, yeah, the key in the sense that if they are to become a championship team this decade, it'll be because Patrick Williams develops into a star-level talent or a guy that's a near-level star talent. So... He can even pass a little bit off the dribble for you, too. He's not a primary guy, but he can make the right decisions. They brought in Troy Brown, another guy, big jumbo guard who can play, you know, make playing the pick and roll for you, make quick passes, quick decision maker. They have a lot of talent, a lot of guys who can make the right play. And the pieces feel like they're fall, starting to fall in place in Chicago. They yeah. went from a team with a lot of nice young players that didn't fit to a team that makes some sense on paper. Yeah. I mean, the sanity that is visible in their sort of transaction, their recent transactional history, as opposed to the things that bulls had bulls fans had to put up with in the past. Um, it's, Dark packs. Yeah. It's been, it's been very noticeable. And I think that, you know, I think that the, the Pat Williams pick was, I was a little softer on him than a lot of people, but I I've come around to that. I think that his upside, um, I think that his playmaking upside, I don't know that he's ever going to be like a heavy volume type guy, but I don't know that he necessarily needs to be a superstar for them to hit their potential in the way that they, in the way that they could. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think that he is sort of the lingering um, X factor. And I kind of like that um, that young is around too to, to support, because I feel like he's a pretty good mentor for the type of player that Pat could grow into sort of a guy that's going to provide you a lot of playmaking efficient efficient scoring and can be a really versatile defensive type piece um yeah i like that got daniel tice too older guy who's starting for boston i didn't love daniel tice as a starting center i love daniel tice as a backup center perfect it's for him. weird to see him yeah. in that bulls uniform isn't it i was really thrown <laughs> off by that i was like no no you wear green my man like he just i don't know <laughs> but the bulls occasionally wear green which is weird when the bulls wear green super weird it's very weird uh, one other thought on the bulls what do you think about larry Markin in getting experimented with playing the three. 
I wanted to say something really quick about uniforms. I think that would be among my least favorite alternate color, like, you know, really weird off the ball, oddball color. I d- the orange looks good for the magic. You've seen that one, right? I mean, the orange looks, it looks good, I but do. it's kind of weird. I don't know. It's weird, and, but it looks good. <laughs> and I really don't like the pacer heat thing that, that I don't like the pacer color thing that the heat were doing. I mean, I just don't, why are we doing oh, that? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Go with the Miami Floridians colors, Miami heat. Uh, anyway. So yeah, with Lowry, um, yeah, I mean, moving him, you, you, I think that the early, the returns are going to have to show me a little bit more in that sense. Um, I think that he is a guy that do you do you still think that he's long for Chicago? Is he a guy that you could no. see? Yeah, it seems like uh, yeah, that's kind of where I am. I was just like, yeah, I mean, it's it's nice to keep his shooting on the floor. Maybe give him like we said, we're at you're adding a little bit more experience and gravity that he could feed off of with the Levine Vooch thing. Um, and then adding Williams, uh, it's just uh, something's not sitting right in the pit of my stomach with the with the Lowry thing. I'm with you there. It's nice to see the experimentation putting him at the three, but he's got it shredded on the defensive end of the floor, and he's unable to take advantage of his size advantage that he has on some smaller guys because he's not an interior player. He's not a rebounder. I mean, it just he plays like he's a foot shorter than he actually is a lot of the time, and you can't do that. Yeah, no. and and it's he's he just gets picked on and drop cut. Like he he yeah. really is slow moving north south backwards, and he doesn't get off his feet quickly. And then, you know, you got to add a lot on the other end to overcome those types of things. You know, so I still think there's a a role for him in the NBA. I just don't think it's in Chicago. And and similar for the guy that they traded to Orlando, Wendell Carter Jr., who's been pretty solid. So far with the Magic, he's still not shooting the ball well, but he's averaging 15 points per game, nine rebounds, two assists, two blocks. Looking pretty good with Orlando. What are your early takeaways for Wendell Carter and his new situation down in Orlando? Uh, Orlando is very in flux right now, which is good. That's fine. Be bad. Go ahead and just be bad. Tank, you know? baby. Tank. <laughs> just be bad. Do it. And that, there's there's wisdom in being bad sometimes. You know, I think, I've always liked Wendell. Um, he has those types of skills that are just alluring to my philosophy for basketball. I, I really think that he has good face-up touch. Uh, he, he gives you a little more rim protection than you would maybe get with a player who has that kind of touch. Um, I th- I've always seen him as a guy who, and, and we've seen some glimpses of of some, you know, primary kind of, when I say primary, I don't mean like massive load. I just mean, you know, he's a guy that could, give you a solid amount of playmaking for the offense that he provides. You know, he's had, he's been 65.7 true shooting and Orlando's three and two. Uh, I mean, they got absolutely demolished the other night by Utah, which was pretty rough, but uh, I think that it's another thing where it's, it's an incomplete puzzle. Um, but I don't know at what point are we going to stop looking at Wendell and being like, he just seems like one of those, like I'm going to hold on to his stock for like 10 years type players <laughs> just because <laughs> I just believe in ball skills. And he's shown me that since he was in high school. Uh, I famously had him, not famously, maybe notoriously in, in my world, had him ahead of Jaron Jackson coming into the draft. So maybe I have a little vested interest in him panning out, but I've always kind of believed in Wendell. What about you? Yeah, I've always believed. I had him ahead of Bagley and their draft class together. And I mean, we'll see how that works out. Bagley still has some on top potential. Um, Wendell Carter does too. So with Orlando now, I think he's going to get the responsibility and the touches and the opportunity that he may not have consistently received moving forward in Chicago, which, you know, he didn't do well with it. With past coaches, past systems. But with Orlando, I, I like what I'm seeing so far early on. It's, you know, a long way to go here. Guys are in and out of that lineup. But the magic in some ways they traded Aaron Gordon. They traded Nikola Vucevic. They've had some quality. T- they traded Evan Fournier. They've had good individual players that just didn't fit together. It feels like they're in that situation still just with younger guys where it's like there's clearly a lot of talent on this team, including some of the guys that are out injured. Jonathan Isaac, Markel Fultz. Yeah, they have the roster, An- right? Yeah, they have Cole Anthony on that team. They have Chuma Okiki. I mean, Chuma. Chuma. You wanted to talk about him. Chuma. Chuma's been great. Oh, my goodness. Chuma. He- Last seven games, 16 points per game, six rebounds, three assists, 47% from three, doing it all on the floor, playing hard on defense. What is there not to love about Chuma Okiki, Kyle? Very little not to love about Chuma. Uh, Also, one of the better first names in the league, I would say. I looked it up. Actually, in some places, Chuma means prosperity. Oh. Anyway, so Chuma, Chuma is a guy, I mean, he was like, 
tore his ACL, like we said. So we've had a delayed start with him. He tore his ACL in the 2019 tournament. So we're just now, you know, and his minutes have really ramped up in these past seven games, and he's taken the responsibility. He and Wendell have kind of, you know, cut their teeth a little bit together. Uh, they've had they've had plenty of pick and roll that I've seen from them in the early goings here. Um, you know, he's shooting. I had 40, yeah, 47% from three on 4.3 attempts. Um, you know, he's a guy that can hit open shots. I think for him to, he has great size. That's something that really jumped out to me. I was watching the Magic play the Nuggets uh, the other night, and it, he attacked a closeout against Michael Green, and I was just like, they're like the same size. Like like Chuma is is a big dude, re- rebounds his, his position really well. I think for him to... He seems like he's in the early stages of still, you know, upping his comfort level um, in traffic. For a lot of rookies, you'll see that from rookie bigs. We'll see from we'll see that from a, a Hawks big guy that we're going to talk about briefly. I think here in a minute. Um, yeah, he's he's a guy that I could see. He has a lot of to use that word again, growth plate in his game, where he's already a solid, semi dependable spot up guy. Uh, who could grow into sort of like a secondary tertiary creator for you if, if things work out well for the Magic. Before we move on to talk about the draft, let's just hit a couple of things that happened on Tuesday night's game. Uh, the Hawks have now won four in a row after beating the Pelicans. They beat the Spurs, Warriors, Pelicans twice. They get the Grizzlies up on Wednesday. You know, Trey Young and Bogdan Bogdanovich are finding a nice balance together. I love the way Bogdanovich is being utilized and off that bench, really running the offense when Trey's not on the floor. It's nice to see that. And also, Kyle, we're seeing their rookie big man get some consistent minutes now on Yeke Okongwu out of USC. How have you uh, viewed his game? How did you view his game prior to the draft? And how have you seen him perform midway through his rookie year after missing some time earlier with that injury? Um, yeah, I mean, it it was it was funny for me to sort of observe. I didn't really weigh in a ton on on, on Kong Wu going up to the draft. I try to I try to keep some of that stuff. Uh, I wait to see everything together before I go way too in, unless I really really believe in a guy. But a Kong Wu, you know, people were going really hard on the Bam comparisons. I was not on that train at all. I think I was I was a little lower on him than some people, but I did like him. Um, you know, he's a guy that when I was watching some of his tape. Uh, before, I, you know, in, in his time kind of trying to get acclimated with the Hawks. Now, Collins being out has kind of provided a, an opportunity for Okongwu to get in and get some time. Um, you know, things that are translating, his hands, he has fantastic hands. I know you make fun of me for for the hand thing. I don't know if it's necessarily a hand size thing. Is um, He just has terrific accuracy and strength in his hands. And that has really, you know, if he goes into traffic and there's a ball up for grabs, uh, if, if defensive situations, he's really strong in that sense. Um, he is, he seems a little spatially, um, like he's getting comfortable still in the NBA, mm. in the NBA game to me, uh, maybe moving a little bit fast, like in traffic. Um, he, he gets, he gets in trouble easily. Uh, but and like Nola's length the other night, New Orleans, is, uh, the Pelicans length, uh, seemed to be giving him some trouble here and there. He got it going against their, their second unit, but um, I like a Kongwu. I, I just don't, uh, I think I've maybe come down from him being like, um, I don't know if he's necessarily on the level of an anchor. Uh, I kind of had him more as sort of like a, in the range of like good Tr- Tristan Thompson. That's where mm. I had him. What do you think? Physically, he moves like Tristan to me. That's that's what he reminds me of. And when you say good Tristan Thompson, I mean, Tristan Thompson is solid, you know, one of finals, you know, played some high-level playoff basketball, so there's no knock on him. When you say good, good Tristan comp. Thompson, do you, you, yeah, you mean that as a compliment, right? Like I an do. even better version of, of a Tristan Thompson. Yeah, there's an aftertaste, I think, for people when you say some names. I'm, I'm talking about the iter- – there have been some iterations of Tristan Thompson that have been fantastic. If you get compared to – I went through the same thing with Darius Garland. I compared him. I was like, this guy could be a Jason Terry type, and people got outraged. It's like, no, I just – I see – I don't know that his impact could be as wide-spanning as Bam because I just don't see him as the same type of twitchy athlete. Uh, but, you know, we're in the early goings, and, and he's a great guy that, to uh, – a switchable – you know, three, four, five type guy that could to support Trey. Did yeah. you see Bam switch onto Stephen Curry the other night? He did that the, when he, he was a rookie. Uh, yeah, he did it when he was a rookie, and like he's <laughs> he's gotten even better <laughs> over the years. I mean, Bam's versatility is truly remarkable to watch. And like, I, I believe I had Bam as a comp to Okongwu in the draft guide last year, and like it didn't sit great with me. It was just it's hard to find some comps for him. Um, cause he does have some versatility. 
It's just, yeah. it's more shades of, like maybe like a Bam light. And there's nothing wrong with that if that's what you turn out to be. Bam is a sensational player. We can argue about comps, KFC. I'm not afraid. We should we should you totally the, embrace the, the comp you, you arguments. Get the, you get the comp cloud uh, <laughs> in the time drop days. <laughs> we'll pull a comp cloud out for uh, sure. One other quick thing on the other side of that matchup last night. Pelicans have lost three in a row now. Zion dominating. He's scored 20-plus points on 50% shooting or better for the 25th straight game that ties Shaq for the longest streak <laughs> since 1954-55. He's 6'6". Oh I feel like we do this every other episode. Zion's baseline for for normalcy is like warm <laughs> bathwater. You know how you sit and you're just like, man, it's not really, it's you've changed. It's like the, the hot water that is his efficiency is like, like the other night he, he, would, he was 12 for 18 on 75.9 true shooting. Uh, he does that all the time. That's what's amazing. Like he... He's just an insanely efficient player. Gets easy buckets, doesn't miss layups, super explosive. Zion's a special player and and sort of a new mold, honestly. I mean, uh, that goes without saying. I mean, Zion is an aberration in terms of the things that we've seen in the past in the NBA and, you know. Hope they keep building around him. Uh, I hope so as well. We saw Isaiah, Isaiah Thomas signed a 10-day contract with the Pelicans. He made his debut last night, 10 points on 4 of 13 shooting. He had 8 straight in the first half. I'm not worried about the four for 13. It's his first NBA game in quite some time now. Isaiah, he got just 13 happy. shots. Wow. Uh, I'm very happy to see Isaiah back from the court. I did want to talk real quick about Jackson Hayes. Did you see his game earlier this week? Some of the stuff he was doing off the dribble, with the ball in his hands. Which one? I believe the game against the Rockets. Uh, I don't know if I saw the specific plays that you're talking about. I mean, which which ones? Uh, what, what jumped the out to you? Handling the ball in the open floor, hitting a corner three. He just like the athletic, the raw athleticism that people have talked about since he was at Texas. Yeah. Is manifesting a little bit in an NBA setting. And like, you know, you just talk about outliers, how Zion is his own player. Isaiah Thomas at five, nine and a half has managed to be, he was a top five MVP candidate at one point. He was an outlier. Jackson Hayes in his own way is an outlier. Just a very funky player in that mix for the New Orleans Pelicans where they have a handful of those guys. They burn an Ingram even. Tall, lean, and skinny, you know, yeah. very lean frame. They have a lot of like that's what makes basketball cool. <laughs> Just all these dramatically different players of different shapes and sizes. And Jackson Hayes being the elite athlete that he is, he used to play wide receiver in high school. I mean, in another world, maybe he's a six foot ten wide receiver. <laughs> Can you imagine him taking a serious hit from a serious player? You know, oh, okay. I, yeah, I was just thinking yeah. all kinds of cons. I forget what country song that is. But you know, I actually um I drove an Uber one time. For uh, the guy who used to train Jackson oh, Hayes, yeah, really? little story. There's really not much else to it. He had had oh. a, a great time that night, and uh, we were just talking about, about Jackson Hayes. <laughs> but you know, he's always a guy who just you, you're right. He's 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 funky, and it, it, he's coming along slowly. He's he's a type that I think he's just kind of lying in the weeds a little bit in terms of the attention that he gets, and it's a good asset for New Orleans to have sitting there. Um, and I, I think that he could. I always thought that he could become a Jared Allen type guy, like a guy who could really fly around, you know, as his positional, uh, I mean, in terms of like quality rim protection. Uh, and like you said, it is the more, if he's going to start adding spot up threes, I don't know about creation, you know, I think his, nah, his not opportunities, so sure. it's not going to be necessary. Mm -hmm. It's just not going to be necessary. I don't think, no. uh, but you know, vertical spacer, really springy, really long, uh, good athlete. It, it's a nice, it's a nice asset for new Orleans to have. You said you drove Uber before. Oh yeah, man! I drew. I drove. I, I was. I should have dr dr uh, written a book about it. You want to hear one story? Yeah. I, well, I yes, uh, yes, because I love just chatting with Uber drivers. I chat with every single one of them. Every single one of them. I love it. I've had some. I've had some pretty really good ones and some really bad ones. My very first Uber trip that I did was on the uh, the Kentucky Derby, mm -hmm. and so I drove out to like really the edge of town pull up to this house it's like obviously like kids in early college i call them kids and they were like wearing like you know vineyard vine stuff sitting around standing around drinking bud light it's 10 in the morning they get <laughs> they get in the car more power to you it's derby they get in the car and uh i look in the back and you know they start talking to me they're obviously already drunk we get like a minute into the drive and there's this i hear this voice from the back there's four people in my back seat and they oh, this guy goes you turn the air on and roll the windows down. Oh, I, was, no. I see this guy oh, in the no. rearview mirror. He's white as a ghost. He's sweating. Oh, no. He's like six four, just sweating. 
And uh, so we're sitting in traffic, and I I just hear him projectile vomit out oh the side goodness. of my window. This is your your first ride, first trip, your first trip. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I almost made him. I was started to just boot him out right then because we were like on an overpass. <laughs> I couldn't have, but I it was like it was pretty pretty rough. But I ended oh. up coming out ahead, got my car detailed, and I got back out and back at it. But yeah, that's Uber is always interesting. You know, it's uh, it's a What's that? Just yeah. first trip, you had that experience. Yeah, I had a guy. Unbelievable. Who, I had a guy try to. He, I, I had somebody try to get me to help him pull his like passed out wife out of the car. There's, you just end up with a lot of different funny stories. It's, it's, it's a funny job. Yeah. It really I, is. I've, I've Shout had out to some Uber. Great deep life conversations <laughs> with Uber drivers. Just about whatever comes to mind, however the conversation goes. It's great, man. You know how we did the thing like shout us out if you were doing the snow shoveling thing. Shout us out yeah, if you're an Uber yeah. driver and you listen to the pod. Yes. I want to hear from you. Tell us a <laughs> yes. story. Yes, we do. Um, one other quick thing on last night's game: the Grizzlies beat the Heat. Dylan Brooks had a 23 point quarter. I wanted to just quickly mention we saw a lineup last night, Kyle, where we saw Desmond Bain, Xavier Tillman, and Killian Tilly on the floor at the same <laughs> exact time. It was a thing of beauty for anybody yeah. who's like a, a draft geek or just a, a basketball geek, period. It was wonderful. It was the it's it was the Thanos meme where he adds the last stone and he's infinitely powerful. It, that was NBA draft. I was saying that like that was draft Twitter seeing that lineup on the floor. Um, I, w- I was going to say, too, that like the Grizzlies drafting, it just seems like it doesn't matter where they pick. They just seem to have. Have you ever heard of Taskbot? It's like this video game algorithm sure. thing. <laughs> it's this thing that it's an algorithm that knows how to it figures out video games and plays them really efficiently. You can go look it up on YouTube. They have Mario Kart Taskbot. That's what the Grizzlies drafting strategy reminds me of. It's like, okay, they got a pick in the 20s here. <laughs> ah, surely there's not much value here. They got a pick in the second va- in second round. They pick up Killian Tilly, which I liked at the time. I mean, Tilly Tilly's a guy that I think could eventually play um in some capacity. So, yeah, I mean, that's hilarious. And Desmond Bain, longtime Desmond Bain Hive, obviously. It was their third game playing together at once. They have a 146 offensive rating (laughs) and an 84 defensive rating. Oh, my God. 18 minutes of play. Not a small sample size at all, but I'm excited to see. (laughs) <laughs> a lot more of that oh, uh, in, the, in the coming weeks uh, towards the end of the season. We'll be back after the break talking about the NBA draft. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerMBA. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerMBA right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. So we just talked a little bit about Killian Tilly. Gonzaga, the team he played for in college, lost the national championship against Baylor 86 to 70. We watched that game on Monday night, Kyle. So we're going to look about, look at that game through the NBA draft lens with a little game of stock up, stock down, or maybe no change in some cases about some of the players that were in that 
NCAA men's tournament national championship game. Let's start off with Davion Mitchell, six foot two guard from Baylor. Been some talk about him with a tournament he had that he could be a lottery pick. Is his stock up that far in your eyes, Kyle, with Davion Mitchell? Uh, I mean, he definitely solidified himself in my view as as somebody. I really, I was really encouraged by what I saw. I really enjoyed his. Baylor kind of had this in spades across their roster and the fact that they just had this really, this sort of self-assuredness and confidence in the way that they attack, you know, and I, I think that Davion is a really versatile player. I think it he projects as somebody, he guards his ass off. I think that he's somebody that could give you uh, rotation, scoring, creation, shot making. Uh, I mean, he was torching uh, Drew Timmy, um, he he was opening some gaps when Drew Timmy was trying to guard him on the ball. I mean that that Suez Canal ship could have like turned around in. They were that wide. It was like, uh, did you not follow that story at all? Did that reference not land with you, KOC? The Suez Canal, the ship. I'm disappointed in your in your yeah. your current yeah. affairs knowledge there. Anyway, big ship, big holes. Uh, I, anyway. I, I am I am. Oh wow, I see it now. This morning. <laughs> wow. No, no, that's an old wait, story. Wait. Oh, ship oh, got stuck. Oh, that's the I headline. Even, wait, what? No, it, did you not see when the ship in the Suez Canal got stuck sideways and it couldn't turn around? No. <laughs> oh my God! Whatever. <laughs> that was just such a digression. Um, <laughs> Davion Mitchell uh, definitely. <laughs> I I only consume basketball, Kyle. <laughs> I know. I don't know how you do it. Uh, I watch a lot, and I don't know how. Music. That's Kevin's superpower, yeah. folks. He literally has a superpower. I mm. I watch all the time, and I still don't know how Kevin does it. So, Davion Mitchell, yes. I mean, I think you're absolutely justified and in your right man, mind to, to draft him. You know, I at least late lottery, and I know that like, um. I was kind of looking at some of the big boards for him. And, you know, I saw Dan Devine in our Slack was talking about how he hopes that he falls to the to the Knicks in the mid or late first round. Late first round, it just ain't happening. I just don't see – I don't see him lasting that long because he is a modern NBA player. Now, in terms of size, I mean, you know, he's not um, – he's not super big. You know, it's six foot two, but he's a guy who – I think that he could be an on-ball pressure type guy, somebody that could definitely add punch to your rotation on both sides of the ball and 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 create shots and playmaking and score. I'm playing devil's advocate here. Um, he shot 66 from the free throw, 66 from the free throw line in three years in college, 45 percent from three this season, way up from 32 percent as a sophomore and 29 percent as a freshman. Are we to believe that? he's going to continue to be a high 30% or a low 40% three-point shooter when his free throw percentage is still sub 70% or are there, are there any indicators in what he did this season in terms of shooting form or anything like that? Or is there anything that gives you confidence that the six foot two guard can, can continue to ascend upward, trend upward with his shooting? Uh, 45 is insanely high. I mean, in terms of, we would have to go in and kind of look at the sample in terms of where he's shooting from when he's shooting on the move, how much of that was on the, you know, off the catch, yep. things like that. I think, you know, he creates a lot for himself. At least he did in the tournament really well, really capably. Um, I think that, you know, maybe not 45, you know, like as that line, a lot of guys kind of have an adjustment pe period, especially guys in the lower six foot range who are going to have to generate a little more power. It's not, maybe not necessarily going to be as easy. Um, and that's something that I would have to I, – I am so confident of him as – it's not going to drop to the point that's going to concern me into, like, not wanting him if I'm picking that range. Because if if you give me a guy that really is interested in guarding the ball, that's the thing about Baylor is, like – and Chark said this too, is that they had a collection of guys – who were on their second stop and didn't really have any disillusions about who they were. They were guys that came in and bought in to team defending. If you watch that game, I mean, they were just terrifying how well they defended as a team. So that's the thing that's not going to be foreign to him. In terms of the shooting, it could come down some. I don't know. I don't expect it to plummet, though. I think that he's a good enough shooter that I think it'll be good enough. But we're both stock up. For okay. sure, with him, yeah. right? Yep. Uh, how about Jalen Suggs had the moment of the tournament? Of course, top five pick before the year, still a top five pick now. Or is there any chance that he pushes top two? I saw somebody saying he wasn't. He was fringe top ten coming into the league that's, or into the year. I was just like, "What true. the hell are you yeah. talking about, my I guy?" Almost everywhere 
had him yeah. top five in terms of the internet. I believe everybody I've talked to in the NBA had him. Yeah, he's a top five guy. <laughs> I think that was just an erroneous comment. Uh, I think my question for you, I was going in and kind of looking at big boards and I saw that you had, uh, you keep turning this on me. I'm turning this on you. So you, you have Jalen Green ahead of Jalen Suggs in your ringer draft guide. I mean, I think that's the interesting question for me. Uh, where, where do you, do you think that that dynamic changed at all? Because they, I'll just tell you, I, there's no, go ahead. Go ahead. I'll let uh, you I mean, answer. I mean, we'll see how it pans out. I, I don't, when I do my rankings, they're very fluid early on. Okay. And three, four, five, like that's going to be shaken up at any moment. Um, Cause so much of it. And I think let's just tie this to last year. I had Killian Hayes ranked number one mistake. Mistake. I still think anybody who's talking about Killian Hayes, what he did after seven games is silly and short-sighted. I haven't responded to a single message to me about Killian Hayes for that reason. <laughs> By the way, his last two games in Detroit looks great as a passer. Really good as a passer. There's a big um, asterisk. But, he but, hasn't played. But, but the, 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 of course, but the, but I, still wouldn't I think, I think where I missed with LaMelo and not having him number one, and a lot of people didn't have him number one, but was the character aspect talked about in the void video when we brought on Mirren Fader to talk about his character and who he is as a person. And, and to me, I'm still learning about who these players are as people and what matters to them and how they work, what they prioritize. And that information can be hard to find. Sometimes there's a lot of misinformation out there. Um, with Jalen Suggs, one of the encouraging thing is, is everything that's out there is A plus, A plus in terms of character, you can see it yourself on the court, just observing the way he plays with the attitude and the intensity. I mean, I thought his quote after the game, he's like, I always want to jump up on the table like D Wade. <laughs> it was like, he, he is somebody who everything I've heard about him, he like eats, you know, wakes up, thinks about basketball, everything's basketball. And he wants to be the best player that he can be. And he works smart and he works hard. So like there's, there's some guys that just get in the gym and put up, the hundreds of shots, but they're not working smart. I think Jalen Suggs is the type of guy who works smart. So it wouldn't shock me if I do move him ahead of Jalen Green at some point. With Jalen Green, I do just like the progress that we saw over the course of the season with the Ignite. I thought he made subtle improvements with his passing, subtle improvements with his decision-making. And, you know, he fared well in a tough league. You know, the G League is no joke. There's some solid talent down there, a lot of grown men down there as well in their late 20s and even in their 30s. So, I was very impressed with Jalen Green's performance. And those guys, to me, are neck and neck. Um, it's In many ways, it's about your team fit. And that's the challenge with big boards. You know, in general, like, you know, we do public big boards and they're general big boards. But the truth is, is that just like we talked about earlier in the conversation with Aaron Gordon or with Zach Levine, there's certain guys that I would have ranked higher for certain teams than I would for others. You know, mm -hmm. depending on the situation that they're going into. So for them, it's close to answer your question. I wouldn't read too much into three or four between them. But Suggs, to me, he is in the same place he was before. This, this is the guy he always was and probably always will be. He's going to be a success. It's just a matter of what heights he reaches. Yeah, I, I think, you know, sort of range of range of applicability in terms of like the player where do they fit at the highest level the most who who fits at a high level the most consistently and for me i mean i i may live to regret this but i can't imagine a scenario where i wouldn't take Suggs over green i just think that he had a chance to submit really he didn't really show me anything that i didn't already know uh, I, there were some situations where he could have assert, asserted himself offensively earlier on but gonzaga was humming offensively so well that it didn't necessarily matter. And you saw his minutes and his touches and his attempts and things and his sort of primacy go up as the tournament went along. I mean, we were talking about, I mean, I've seen the Drew Holiday comp really become ubiquitous. Like it's everywhere. Early on, it was like you saw it here and there, but it's like pretty consistently people are like, this is a Drew Holiday type player. But I do see some sort of uh, je ne sais quoi in his game <laughs> that, that could separate him and give him some plus plus, as I always say, you know, possibility in his game and i think that he's definitely a guy who who has a lot of interest in on-ball defense i think he takes big tasks i think that he sees big moments and seizes them he's unfazed by them we saw that in the ucla game where he basically manned up and made the big plays to end that game i mean can you think of another sequence from a prospect that was more <laughs> impressive than him switching and guarding that ball at, I mean he had to get into area to block that that wasn't his man initially I mean he rotated and made the play 
without missing a beat, he turns around, pushes in transition, and makes like an Isaiah Thomas 50-foot bounce pass for a dunk. I can't remember a prospect making a play like that on a stage like that in the past 10 years. Nothing comes to mind. For me, neither. I I don't have a great memory, so not the best person to ask. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't even know about the Suez Canal. Uh, (laughs) I was was thinking like... Anthony, you know, bring it back to Kentucky as as I'm apt to do. Uh, you know, Anthony Davis in the Final Four in 2012 had some pretty amazing sequences where he, you know, was protecting the rim, making wild out of area yeah. blocks, and then coming down. And I remember there was a clip where he made like a fallaway lefty baby hook over Gorgie Zhang, and Steve Kerr was like, "Oh my!" Like he started laughing because it was so ridiculous. But yeah, Suggs. The the question for him for me is like, where does he go? Does he go ahead of Mobley? Does he go ahead of Cunningham? I I really like him a lot. I think you could come away from the draft feeling pretty damn good about yourself if you end up with Jalen Suggs because I think he's uh, a special talent. And he showed his it factor, which is you love to see. For sure. And I would say for him, stock up, even if that doesn't actually mean he gets drafted higher. The view of him has increased because of the production level in that tournament and the whole season for that matter. Um his teammate, Corey Kispert, not, not not so sure that we can say the same thing about him. He looked overmatched athletically at times, did not shoot the ball, even was hesitant in certain moments shooting the ball. I had him ranked as a mid-lottery pick. Uh, I'm not sure where you had him, Kyle, but how has your perspective evolved about Corey Kispert? Uh, I think the play where he went to shoot the ball and just sort of ejected mid-shot, <laughs> mid-shot yeah. that, I thought that was the emblematic play of the game. I, I think that he's... The thing about Kispert to me is you got to kind of project what his role is going to be like. I think that, you know, Baylor was able to load up on Gonzaga in some ways that he probably won't be facing in the NBA. I think, you know, Kispert is, Kispert definitely had some, uh, I'm sure that was an eye-opening experience for him in terms of the pressure because the closeouts, the speed, how quickly you have to shoot the ball and accurately to stay on the floor if you're not going to be a plus, if you can't keep your head above the water, you know, defensively. Um, is he going to be like a Doug McDermott type, somebody who can you can pepper in these actions and somebody that can shoot cold? That's another thing for players like him because his usage rate isn't going to be high, but we've seen him shoot fast and at volume uh, efficiently, and that's good. And that's a that's a role in the NBA that just gets more and more useful. Um, so yeah, I think I think it came down, but also I think that the the sample here is a little misleading because if you're expecting him to come in and be like a high usage guy in the NBA just not going to happen how much do you vary uh, value clutchness from what you see in march madness in terms of when you're evaluating ahead with a player i think that you put it in the pot i think that you i don't i would be careful not to overanalyze it because just clutch for clutch sake doesn't necessarily mean a whole lot you know like i know that um you know like aaron harrison made big shot after big shot he couldn't stick in the nba at all it's it's really just a thing that i think that you tack on to guys that you're already considering. I think it's a differentiating variable that you tack on to guys who are close. You know, how is this guy a fearless guy? Does he shrink from the moment? Things like that. I think it's important, I, but I think that you have to be extremely careful about it. You know, he made big plays. If if Suggs had disappeared and gotten super nervous, I think that that is something that you take into account. I don't, but I, I would, I would say the fact that he showed it to me is more valuable than if he had maybe not done it. You know, like I wouldn't read too much into it if he didn't make the big plays. But the fact that he did, does that make sense? Like I think that uh, the omission of it isn't as big a deal as the commission. Yeah, sure, We're, that that makes sense to me because even the most clutch players in league history miss sometimes. And it's such a small sample in, in March Madness that if you happen to see a guy miss two times he might hit the next eight chances that he gets in those clutch moments. You can't overvalue it necessarily. And also this year is a little bit different. They didn't play with the big crowds, the craziness, the fans in the stands, the pressure of having like your whole family and all your friends there, everything that comes with it. I don't think this year matters even quite as much. If you're throwing in the pot, like you said, there's not as many ingredients to throw in. You don't have it as much this year, whereas past years, you know, I had a great conversation with an executive a couple years ago, and he's like, people, his perspective is, is that college basketball, scouting college basketball is important because of the pressure aspect that he likes to see guys and like playing at Duke on the road with the Cameron crazies there and dealing with that attention and dealing with that pressure because that's what it, it 
doesn't exactly replicate the NBA live environment, but it can in some ways show how a guy deals with pressure period and there's different types of pressure in the nba when you're making so much money and you have so many people in your life and all that that's sort of his perspective there in terms of on court off court so i did miss that personally in college basketball this year not having that especially missing in the tournament i don't weigh it a lot but i do think it's nice to see a guy and how with how he deals with pressure in those moments so i don't value it a lot just like you said kyle throw it in the pot part of the part of the evaluation but it's not going to necessarily change everything and i would tack on there too that you suggs has shown us this in the past he's a killer yes. like he, you know oh, in, yeah. in, in high school at many many haha he he regularly repeatedly you put him on the big stage the nba we've said this a million times the nba is if you're going to interface with the nba and be successful you need to be an active and attentive thinker in real time there's no place. It's very difficult to be a great defender if you're not if you're not one that type of player. And I think that Suggs is, and and he shows me that I think that he's a guy who is going to pick things up quickly. I think that he's like we said, he's focused, he's active, he's competitive. You know, I like guys that give a shit. I really do. I sorry, sorry to curse there, but I I do. I just like <laughs> I I like that. So, um, yeah. So I'm I'm encouraged by what I saw. And just real quick, uh, Jared Butler on Baylor, we talked about him on our show two weeks ago as a guy to watch. I would say no stock change for him. Solid yeah. guard, can be a spark plug for you. I like I like the way he plays. Drew Timmy with Gonzaga making their run to the tournament f- final. He did get some more attention as a draft prospect. Um, where are you at with Timmy, Kyle? I guess this is kind of a question of where you were before. Um, he hasn't really moved much. I mean, yeah. it kind of sunk in more. It sunk me more into where I was. Um, you know, defensively, he was picked on. I mean, clearly Baylor came into that game knowing that they could put him in a variety. Like, it didn't really matter what kind of ball screen coverage they put him in. He was too sl- we talked about Lowry's north-south speed. I mean, Timmy just got absolutely frozen a few times. Like Mitchell picked on him. It was unbelievable. Now, he was probably a little overwhelmed. He's not, you know, he's going to have to become acclimated to. I've called Timmy uh Swag Kaminsky all year. That's kind of <laughs> but I think you know, I was talking with uh, a mutual friend about this that, you know, I think that uh even even Kaminsky I think was a little more prepared. Um I, I think that I haven't really moved. I would say, uh, you know, I was I was kind of already kind of skeptical uh, skeptical about what he would be going forward. Good college player, really good college player, um, but I haven't really moved on him. I'm lower on him. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you, Kyle. No change <laughs> for me. Um, and when you say no change, you mean second round pick? Oh yeah, I mean if that. Okay. Yeah. If I mean, that, uh, yes. Um, we're he's on a liability. You can't. There. You can't put him in a serious basketball game yeah. right now in, in that sense because what we saw Baylor do. Is what NBA playoff teams do times two, three. So exactly, and, and he's the type of guy with some of the talent level that's there, worth an opportunity. You know, get him an opportunity in G League or overseas, and maybe down the line that athleticism improves and he can turn into something. But as of now, without a knockdown perimeter shot, like you mentioned, Frank Kaminsky earlier, like he could shoot it. Yeah, he could shoot. He could shoot it, and, and without that, without the reliable defense, it's really hard to carve out a role in the NBA. Any other thoughts about Baylor or about Gonzaga or about anything that we saw in the tournament, Kyle? Oh man. I think the other one was Johnny Juzang. We were talking about Ooh. him. Has he moved ahead? <laughs> I mean, I think, I don't know how you in your right mind could, well, I could see how I could see how I, I just think that Juzang showed us a lot of things that we didn't see in the past. You know, as a Kentucky fan, I've lamented that a whole lot <laughs> online and elsewhere late at night. Um, he, he just showed a lot of, um, a lot more wiggle off the dribble. He showed a lot more competence attacking the rim, you know, pull-up shot ability, shot creation. Um, they they couldn't stop him, you know, and he ramped that up as the year. He got it could be a case of in an especially good tournament, but I, I think he showed things that weren't aberrational. I think Juzang is an NBA player. I think he's moved into that conversation where I was skeptical about that in the past. And one other quick thought here uh, with Mitchell, Kispert, Suggs, Butler too. They feel like the types of guys that could fit anywhere for the most part. They're the types of players where like we could have a conversation about, well, which team does this guy fit on the most? But they seem like the type of players, at least in my opinion, where they can fit into anywhere. You know, do you feel the same there, Kyle? Well, I think they feel that way because they are not in the echelon of. Did you include Suggs? You were saying Kispert. Uh, Suggs, Mitchell, Kispert, 
Butler, those four. Well, yeah, I mean, they they, fit anywhere. They add things that you need everywhere. I mean, that's that's the kind of the question. And it's like they're not going to be pieces that that like are going to clash necessarily with, you know, they're not heavily compartmentalized. Like, I think that you could play Suggs easily with another big guard. You could easily play him with Shea Gilgis Alexander. You could play him with Fox and Halliburton, things like that. Like, maybe those those two would be a little tougher, but and. Yeah, I, I think that's why they're not they're not as necessarily going to run into like on court dissonance the way other prospects might. We'll be back in two weeks, Kyle. Two weeks goes by quickly in some ways, but feels like forever in others, doesn't it? That's sort of the whole. It feels like forever year. for me to wait to smell your digital musk on this call. <laughs> um, it's hard for me. It's a lot of time <laughs> sitting around just pining for the t- for the, the chance to see KOC, the the, Zoom the legend, musk. the star. He's uh, a star, I, folks. I, I always miss your hats, Kyle. You got a Florida Marlins hat on right now. Yeah, it's good. Ninety seven World popping. Series. It does. It pops. I dig it, man. Marlins seem to win a World Series every, what, five, ten years? This is probably around the time I stopped watching baseball, so I don't know. I couldn't tell you. Uh, I, 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 yeah, I mean, they're the Miami Marlins <laughs> now, for that matter. Right? <laughs> the swags, their gears is not as cool. I, I'm a Florida Florida Marlins. I mean, I like it a little bit. Of, so <laughs> this is how much I pay attention to baseball these days. They last won a World Series in 03. That's like my 09 brain talking. They yeah. won in 97. They won in 03. Haven't got, even been to the playoffs. Got 09 <laughs> brain, boy. I sure do, man. They lost in the NLDS in 2020. Hmm. It's been a long time for the Miami Marlins. Been Too a bad. Long time. Yep. Sure has. Yeah. Why'd you stop watching baseball, Kyle? Any reason? Did you just fall in love oh. with basketball deeper or any reason? Because I used to, baseball was my first sport Me that I too. really loved. Yeah. Me too. When I was really little, baseball was my thing. And yeah. then uh, I would say my big bang basketball moment was the 92 Olympics. That's how old oh. I am. Uh, but I think it was probably around, you know, whenever the, it was like the Sox-Yankees rivalry when it hit the big uh, fever pitch, to quote the movie. I, I think when it hit the, when it hit its apex there in like, oh, Oh four, oh five, oh six, oh seven. I just, mm-hmm. I don't know. I got disinterested in it and wasn't really watching it as much, and uh, just fell away from it. I, I, I can't know. really give you an answer. I don't know. Yeah, it's weird how that happens. It happened with Dragon Ball Z for me. It happened with baseball <laughs> all, all around, all around the same time. Really, I used to love baseball so much. Um, it seems like baseball's in a great spot right now, though. I saw June Lee at ESPN had a great article about how you know the culture has changed. A lot more excitement, players booing who they are, bat flips. You know, more emotion in the game. That's what baseball needs. Make yeah. It more like basketball. <laughs> baseball is like this old, like among the sports, it feels like the conservative sport where they just hold the line. They're like, we will not evolve. Hold the line. Yeah. You know, there's all these old kind of coded like rules and traditions and respect the game and stuff like that. And it's nice to see them uh, take a more modern mindset, you know, yeah. and let, infuse those fun things into the game and, and let it grow. And it seems like they have some promising young stars and. Innovation is fun, and that that's what makes basketball such a the NBA especially such a great sport to follow with different styles, different types of players. And uh, I look forward to talking more about those players with you again in two weeks, Kyle. It'll be too long, but I I I I will wait. I'll 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 take the punishment of waiting <laughs> to hear from you again, Kevin. And uh, it was good. Thanks. And a special thanks to Isaiah Blakely for producing today's episode of Ringer NBA University. If you like the pod, please give us a rating and review on iTunes or give it follow us on Spotify or wherever else you get your podcast. We always appreciate the feedback. Thank you again for listening. I hope you have a fun day. Basketball is very good. Basketball is very good.